Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 148. Ooh, we're nearing that big, uh, what would you call that, halfway to bicentennial? Ennial? There's a name for that. It's, when you're oh, 150 like a years. Semi-centennial, something, it's like a one and a half seas of yeah. centennials. <laughs> well, we're approaching Ses- that. Sesquicentennial. Sesquicentennial. Probably I'll before Googling it. Let's yeah. see if that's right. Go, you see if that's right. This is for a 2014 season preview with all kinds of like, hey, updates. The cars, uh, most of them anyway, have it on track. And Jim was right. Well, technically, that would be the 150th anniversary. And we may be old. But we're not that old. We are not that old. But, but it's 150 episodes, which, you know, every episode is like a new year for us. Kind of. Anyway, I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And it is 2014 still. And <laughs> we obviously had, we had our one show previously in 2014. That was sort of a special, you know, special show, not quite ra- is racing related, but specifically topic ish. Yeah, off topic ish, but uh, re- re- involving Michael Schumacher's incident and your incident and yes. and so on. Just kind of getting your story out there. Uh, but we now, uh, since that show, we now know the complete grid for next year. We have seen the cars for next year or by this year, I should say. Yeah. Um, yes. Some some of them we wish that we hadn't, but we have. Um, and, you know, we can actually kind of talk about the racing that's, that's going to be coming up. And we've also had the first round of testing um, from Jerez in Spain. And now, actually, just in a couple of days, um, there will be the Bahrain preseason test as well. So there's actually, like, cars on track action. Not exciting action yet. But I think we have plenty to talk about. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it, it, is, it is an odd season because... Jim and I always defended Formula One's excitement levels um, these past few years when a lot of people were saying, hey, this is getting boring, it's becoming rote, uh, Sebastian Vettel wins every time, the Red Bull's always fastest, and on and on and on. But now there's a lot of significant changes to the sport, rule changes, uh, car changes, driver changes, and uh, dominant team changes potentially uh, based on what we've seen in testing so far. We have new engine rule, rules for the first time since 2006, I believe. And so this is like almost overwhelming for guys like Jim and I that were always excited by Formula One. It's like, ah, there's so much to be excited about here. Right. And so we don't know. So, okay, what we can say is, you know, obviously very, very big rule changes. The biggest uh, is what I would say is the powertrains, right? Um, going yes. from V8s to turbo V6s with um, you know a much much beefier Kurs electric system than before. So they're they've been hybrids for the last couple of years, but now it's like that's really a you know a bigger part of the whole power package. Uh, so now they're not even you know re- being really being referred to as just engines, but the power units. You know the Renault power unit or the Mercedes power unit, uh, because it is the combination. And now you know the battery and electric motor part matters more. So uh, you know I don't know if we'll actually get around to call and be like oh man listen to that power unit but uh maybe you know one never knows um so that's that's been a huge change and now that we've heard cars actually on track and several of them near each other and so on and all along i, I haven't been super worried about it i think you've been a bit more concerned i know you've made uh plenty of comments about how the sound of indie cars suck and how you think the formula one cars may kind of sound like that with turbos and whatnot but uh i think I think it's come out okay. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll have to see, uh, you know, whether people, you know, it still makes the hair on the back of your neck stick up, stand up or whatever. Um, and I guess what really comes down to it is like, will, uh, you know, if F1's, you know, popularity really starts dropping, is that because the engines aren't as cool or is that because of marketing or ticket prices or the venues or whatever? You know, it's really hard to know. But I don't think that people are going to turn on an F1 race and go, nah, these cars sound a little weak sauce and change the channel. I think it's all good. And they sound different, and there's a lot of turbo sound, and the electricity and everything is like, it's kind of cool. Well, it's funny you mention that. Uh, 
uh, a friend of mine uh, through my day job um, spends a good chunk of his time as a Formula One photographer. And so he was at Jerez and uh, watched many of these cars uh, firsthand and listened to many of these cars firsthand. And he himself said that the noise they make is a disappointment compared to last year. And This just in, one guy doesn't like them. Well, and that may be one less person that, like, that uh, likes them as before. And that's, that is a downgrade one way or the other. And basically what he was saying is, yes, they're still loud. Yes, they're still cool. But it doesn't have the drama that it used to have. It, it, you know, Formula One engines were the single best-sounding engine on the planet, uh, one could argue, and I certainly would, because they had this, like, raucous high-power screech that hits you with a load of bass as they go by, and it's just menacing, high-decibel craziness, right? And now that's just way more subdued. That There's a lot of energy in that noise, and the turbos are sucking a big part of that energy up, which is a good thing for efficiency. But when you come to the pure audio bliss of a Formula One car, we've lost that. That's gone down a step. I'm, I'm willing to believe that. The oral pleasure, if you will. Yes. Well, okay. So <laughs> did Lamar start sucking when Audi started making TDI, you know, race car engines that were really efficient and would win the race, but just not make as much noise? I don't think so. I mean, well, you know, I hope you're it, right. That's wasted energy. And I think if in the bigger scheme of things of um, it is it is cool to see, you know, it's kind of like, I, you know, there's definitely, you know, going to see a drag racing or something and see some car that makes like 4,000 horsepower. It's like. Yeah, that's neat, but... 8,000. Whatever. Actually. I mean, you know, pick a number and put some thousands behind it and make that much horsepower. Like, whatever. It's like, see a 19. Car, that's a good one. That's <laughs> a, that would be a lot. But yes. it's like, okay, that's cool for a second, and you, we can all do that. But it's like, you know, we don't go to watch drag racing. It's like, okay, yes, they make crazy sounds and, you know, burn your eyes with the fuel of vapors and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, that's that's not really the point. The point is, like, you know, high technology and some of this, you know, this trickle down effect into real cars and kind of like, you know, meaning it means something that it's at the top of the automotive chain and, you know, the motorsports chain and so on. So I think it's all for the better um, just because, you know, this means that, you know, maybe in a couple of years time, we'll have some more road cars with crazy cooler hybrid technology. I mean, already, I mean, look at the McLaren P1. That's a crazy powertrain. And, uh, you know, it was already, you know, quite cool and, and, you know, gotten good, good reviews and so on. And it's a mixture of electricity and, you know, efficient gas engine and so on. As so, is the new Porsche 918 hybrid, which has nothing to do with Formula One directly. But not yeah, directly, but the, the idea thing. is that, you know, so anyway, that's, that's like where the world is right now. So there's still, you can go still watch your monster trucks. If you want to see giant, <laughs> giant V8s that spit fire and so on, have, I, have at it. Actually, to be honest. You know what it makes me want to watch real uh, in real terms is a sprint car race. Yeah. The uh, unlimited class of sprint cars are big V8s, fit spitting fire, and they race at night, and they fling dirt at you. Kind of cool. But, but d- your point is absolutely valid. And, in fact, I had internal uh, conversations at work about whether what Formula One's doing is good or bad. And I definitely argued, just like you were, that it's a good thing. We need to move forward with technology and all these type of things. However, the downside is, and your my counter-argument to your Lamar uh, argument is, you're absolutely right that Formula One needs to move forward and continue to be a, a pinnacle in um, transportation progress, not just uh, exciting racing to watch. That... It needs to stay relevant and legit as long as it can do so. But because Formula One engines really were the best-sounding ones in the world, 
to hear them be degraded is a little bit more disheartening than a car that sounded pretty sweet, a Lamar car, car sound less pretty sweet. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like going from an Oreo cookie and taking away some of the stuffing in the center as opposed to, I don't know, the world's greatest chocolate mousse and then making it peanut butter. I don't know. Point is... You're not I, great at analogies. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Get that's off my, my point. Lawn. Okay. So fair enough. So... The power units are what they are, and that's the you know that, them's the rules, and they all all the cars have them now. So there's right. no uh, not not a whole lot of sense in us debating whether it's better or not. But I'm still hopeful that it'll be cool. But wait, 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 wait. When is it something making sense kept us from debating in the past? I agree, I agree with you sometimes, but more often I disagree with you, and I disagree that we shouldn't debate. We should debate, and we should debate right now. About what? You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Okay, um, the most obvious looking change, of course, will be the new nose regulations. Wow! And that's it's gone haywire again. I mean, remember a couple of years ago when we got the you know big front wings and the tall, skinny In rear 2009. wings? Two thousand nine. It was like, oh god, these things are ugly, and then we got used to them. And then two thousand thirteen, we got the lower noses, the slant noses I on mean, most of the cars. There's slant noses. There's wiener noses. There's. <laughs> The Lotus two-pronged, I don't know what. What I feel is there's, like, someone that's got, like, this super extra strong nostalgia gene. And there's something in them that want people to be nostalgic for the cars of the past. So it's like, okay, we have to keep making the cars uglier so that the cars of the past are remembered more fondly. So now we've got this new thing. So the the crux of what Jim's getting at is there's a new rule that says the – the front of the nose cannot be higher than, I think it's 175 millimeters off the ground. It's a low number. And last year it was 500, and the year before that it was like 650. So now, because of aero efficiency, the teams still want fundamentally high noses. So there comes these really odd and creative ways to, to meet the low nose uh, requirement Right. that isn't always aesthetically pleasing and by that you mean they are ridiculously ugly most that, for the most part yes pretty well okay uh, are there any that are good looking to you well I, i'm going to quote my uh formula one photographer friend again he said that he thought the williams was one of the prettier ones well the, so the williams in preseason testing was an all blue livery that was just very simple and very clean and i think that had a lot to do with it um and that which actually will not be with the way they race them because um, they've actually announced, you know, the partnership with Martini, so they yes. actually may have some somewhat of a cool classic Martini livery. Yeah, red, white, and blue. Um, some of the teams kind of hide the nose. The Force India, like the whole car is, is, you know, has its other colors to it, and the nose is blacked out. So, like in a lot of pictures, you wouldn't really see it or re- as it drives by unless you're looking at it really in profile. It doesn't stand out as much, right? Yeah. The Ferrari kind of has this awkward platypus thing going where they don't have a separate component for the nose, but it's just one really awkward slope. Um, the Red Bull. Arguably looks the best because they've sort of they don't have a separate point. It, it looks less like a wiener than other ones. Uh, I think the STR is probably the worst for the, uh, uh, the you know phallic uh, kind of reference there. Uh, well, I don't know the case. Come on, it's got to be the Sauber. The, the Sauber is always somehow manages to be the awkward looking car. Come on, the Sauber's pretty awkward looking. But dude, the STR. So yeah, the Williams is is sort of simple enough and very clean, and that because it has. Just a you know a Williams logo on the front and nothing else, and it's just blue and clean. I think it looks nice, but I think that probably will get um, crapped up to uh, for, for lack of a better term. Uh, Sauber is awkward looking as well. Man, all of these, but the, I think the Red Bull at least kind of looks like it 
you know, sort of, I don't know, like they, not, I mean, of course, all the teams, they thought about it. It's not like no one was like, oh, let's just, you know, make a car and it just comes out however it comes out. I mean, all these were designed and carefully considered and so on. But the, uh, the Red Bull does look sort of like it's, you know, supposed to be that way more so than the others. Um, the MP4, yeah. so the, the McLaren, um, it, it carries the silver into it. So it's got the nose that comes out the front, but then the, uh, the two little sort of fangs that come to hold the front wing on. And I feel like just if they'd made those little fangs black, and a lot that, of people have done this online. I see. I thought that was, I thought that was Mercedes, not McLaren. Um, well, I think both of them. Um, with, uh, I mean, yeah, so we've, we've got – McLaren definitely has um, the, uh, the, the the fangs on the side. I mean, I'm looking at a picture which has MP429 on it, which I'm, I think I'm being correct in saying that's McLaren. I mean, the Mercedes looks, looks a bit nicer. That's got a, a flatter nose. But this one, um, you know, people had sort of Photoshopped. But what if it looked kind of like the old, you know, kind of Kimi Räikkönen and David Coulthard era, you know, West McLaren cars and whatever with black and silver – and uh, and it looked a lot nicer because yeah. it sort of you know hid some of the awkward bends of the of the front and whatever. So I guess the point is the um, there's different ways of working with the rules. Some of these liveries might change slightly too before the uh, before the actual season starts. I mean we know the Williams one will, and yeah. actually even in a couple of days we probably we may see the new uh, Williams layout. Uh, but man, the Caterham, I mean the Caterham's looking to be the worst. And you're right. It is the McLaren, not the Mercedes that I was looking at. You're right. I mean, the Mercedes is a bit more like the Ferrari, where it's just kind of one slightly awkward shape. But it, I don't know. I mean, the, the McLaren, or the Mercedes, uh, is, is, you know, one of the smoother looking ones and one of the more reliable, you know, cars out there. I mean, they were able to go out and, yes. on the first test and set some laps and they had the most mileage and, uh, you know, really, really looked quite good. Um, which set a lot of people, and then Red Bull actually had lots and lots of problems. You know, they went out and had, had issues with cooling and issues with curves and so on. Right. Well, I mean, that's an Adrian Newey thing, right? He really, really, really wants the bodywork to hug the um, the mechanical components as tightly as possible. And when you're talking about the engine and the transmission and the diff, that's cooling. And uh, there's got to be a compromise made between cooling and uh, aerodynamic efficiency. And Adrian Newey is the most powerful aerodynamicist in Formula One, and he can he can push those things that way. And when you have a new set of rules, when you have a big change, so it can't just be an evolution of previous designs mm-hmm. where you hone in on the right thing, that's where he's going to be more likely than others, I think, to push too far his direction. Well, we're not sure how much of it is Red Bull and how much of it is Renault, though, because... Uh, it's, it's all Adrian Newey, it, completely. With the, the problems that they yeah, had? Yeah, he, he designed the piston rings to be yeah. more aerodynamic. So, because Lotus, obviously, which was the Renault team, you know, didn't run at all in the first test. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done a filming day, um, and then they also released that video with the old car with, yeah. um, you know, with Roman Grosjean towing Pastor Maldonado in an Airstream trailer with all their sponsors called out and everything. Um, but anyway, the... Um, uh, so, you know, one wonders, right? So you could look at that and say, okay, oh, the Mercedes, man, they really must be the favorite for the team because they already have a car that's working and it's gone well and, and it's good and Billy's Renaults have problems. Therefore, they're probably going to be terrible throughout the whole team, uh, throughout the whole season. Yeah. But that's not necessarily right. I mean, the other thing is to say, you could look at that and say, infer that Mercedes was too conservative. You know, they, they weren't pushing the boundaries enough. So, like, it's, it's almost like, okay, so as soon as Red Bull slash Renault get their cooling issue sorted out, are they going to be a step ahead in terms of actual performance, you know, so we don't know. And yeah. it's, it's, that's why it's, it's hard to look into the testing results and say, oh, this is, this is who's going to win and here's what the odds are and whatever. So, cause a lot of people have done that. They'd say, oh wait, Vettel's having a problem. Red Bull isn't dominant. Oh man, this changes everything. And like, 
you know, this isn't, you know, obviously there's a lot of smart people there. Yes, they've lost people and they've hired new people and whatever, but uh, I don't think it's time to count out, um, you know, Red Bull, Adrian Newey, Christian Horner, Vettel oh, as yeah. I mean, a powerhouse, uh, you, know, uh, you know, for success. I, you know, I, maybe I'm being a little bit on the sensationalist side because it's fun, but I agree with you that if there's a team that can bounce back, Red Bull is definitely that team, and maybe they don't even have to bounce back from very far down. I mean, after all, we are talking about the first rounds of tests for 2014 after a brand new design. Lord knows what's in the development pike and what's going to be coming on the car even before the Australian opener. So I'm right. Uh, You're absolutely right about that. However, it is, in a lot of ways, it has to be said, refreshing to see that the team that is starting off with more troubles is Red Bull, not some of the other teams. Because, boy, have they been having a stream of success that is worth tons of respect but is not the most exciting necessarily that's not the point of formula one you know so that is the that is the part that you can look at and say that's a positive um however okay i want to move on and i want to ask you um i'm looking i'm looking at the some images of all the cars which one do you think is the ugliest um cater yeah i'm yeah I mean, it's catering <laughs> by a, like kind of by a lot. Actually, I mean, it's it's really. Um, I mean, it's one way to solve the problem. And if the car is really successful, then we have to you know give respect where it's due. But it just don't feel like it's going to be. I mean, it's just a really awkward angle with that flat, sharp edge, and then this you know just protrusion coming out the bottom to hold on the. Uh, is there are there images? The, front wing. the article I'm looking at doesn't have any image of the Marusha. I haven't seen that one yet, but I have to say... No, the Marussia looks looks pretty clean, actually. Um, I have to look that one up, but I have to say, second ugliest for me? Second ugliest? The Ferrari. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's no good. Um, no, let me pull up the Marussia, because it's actually... They, they use the, yeah. the coloring quite well. It's got these red and white stripes. Oh, I see. It's so got, it's got it's, that little random end piece. So it's got the black kind of... But it's fairly know, clean otherwise. But, like, that's a, not a bad-looking car, I don't think. You know? It's, it, it's a little bit... is like... It's like ignore the pimple type of thing. Right. But if you do that, then you're fine. Whereas with the Ferrari, you can't ignore the awkward shape. You know, the, there is yeah. no pimple to ignore. It's just the front of the car just looks that Yeah, way. the Ferrari is unfortunate. Because okay. the other one seems to have cleaned up so that it takes away that uh odd uh kind of like change in uh change in angle to get yeah. down to the limits there's this Where anteater for, kind of weird forehead exa- thing. exactly and you know everyone else is just kind of taking a more gradual slope down to the front of the car where Ferrari really wants to keep the car as high as possible for as long as possible and then it dips down when the rules mandate it seems and that's disappointing the other change that we have in the rules that's actually fairly significant from a scientific point of view is the front wing is no longer the full width of the car. Right. It's now 650 millimeters, I think, instead of 1,800, something like that. And 1,650, uh, yeah. So it's like 300 millimeters shorter or whatever, but it's, sure. it's not quite as wide as the front tires. Yeah, so that that's actually really fascinating because um, because the front wing also covered the width of the tires, that allowed the wing to manipulate the air around the tire in a fairly efficient manner. Now, the aerodynamicists have to figure out a way to have air get as clean as possible behind the front tire, and that's a lot more work since the front tire is hitting the air directly. It's part of the frontal area at the beginning. So that means um, what actually what happens is a, uh, I hope I'm saying this right, a low-pressure area forms just aft the front tire, 
and that actually creates a vortex, a sucking motion on the car. That creates drag. And uh, finding elegant solutions around that, I think, is actually pretty fascinating. So even, it's, even though it's not as visually um, obvious to look at, because the front wing still looks quite a bit wider than the rear wing, for example, um, it's actually quite significant challenge for the engineers. Yeah, so I'm looking at an overhead shot of the Lotus of all cars, Ooh. which we haven't mentioned the, notice, the nose there, is a twin tusk affair with one tusk, in this case the right, <laughs> longer than the left. I think that should be, uh, that should be the uh, logo, uh, I'm sorry, the slogan for fun with cars. Fun, for, fun with cars, a twin tusk affair. So, okay, so this I think is clever. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it is awkward looking and, and the fact that it's asymmetrical but I kind of like it in a way because this is someone getting just very clever with the rule book and looking at, okay, the front, oh, they can't, they can't be yes. a, like, you know, you can't have spear noses on this cars. And let, let's remember here. I mean, the point of the, the Lowe's noses is for safety. So in a side collision, you know, one car's nose isn't spearing another car in a very dangerous place, like right where the driver is sitting or whatever. Yeah. So hitting the car lower, hitting the tire, hitting suspension, the bottom of the car, that's, that's what we're aiming for if, if there are collisions rather than, uh, you know, dangerous sort of, you know, side and, you know, leg injuries and things like that, which, uh, which could happen with the older, higher noses. So there's a limit on, the, you know, the, the front of the car can't be super pointy. It has to be a certain size. And there's, you know, there are all these definitions and the rules and the way they're de- determined where there's a, you know, there's a plane this many millimeters in front of the reference of the front axle and blah, blah, blah. And here's what the size is. So this meets the letter of the law. The, the, the rules don't say that, that has, you know, the nose has to be in the center of the car left to right. Yeah. So... They, they could have made it if they'd only had one tusk, I guess would even be less of an arrow benefit, and it would have been off to the side and really kind of weird. So they have two tusks. One is longer than another. Which um, is the asymmetry in the tusks. I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. Well, I think it would break the rules if they had two noses, effectively, because there's that plane um, basically at the, the front of the uh, shorter tusk. Is ah, is where that rules you know where the rules, rules say okay you have to have, you know one nose that is out in front of the thing yeah uh, so it's 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 weird looking but I feel like this is you know this is something really quite clever they've come up with and possibly of, of course we'll have to see if it works I mean you know so far the car hasn't run um, except for some filming oh and... I got a question I got a question oh I've got a question what how how will Maldonado break that nose the first time. What's going to be the first way that Maldonado shatters the twin not nose nose bit? Come on. Hopefully into like an STR and then the uh, <laughs> and then they, they get interlocked. Yeah, it'll be like Legos almost. Yeah. I did, oh my god, that nose with Pastor Maldonado's reputation. Come on. That that's we're going to see those on eBay right pretty there. soon, I think. We're going to be able to buy broken tusks on eBay. Yes, from Maldonado. Because at the F, at, at fun with cars we are a two-tusk affair. <laughs> oh, good. Good, good stuff. I mean, okay, but uh, we need to get to the 800-pound gorilla, which is the powertrain. Okay, the sound, we've discussed that. Uh, you're wrong. That's okay. The bits about that car that are good, we're getting closer to a point where uh, something you and I have argued for uh, many times, Jim, which is, more open engine rules, more strict fuel amount rules. How much fuel can you have in a race? So now they've dropped that number significantly to 100 kilos. And uh, right now the engines aren't frozen. So you can actually have engine development and you can have ERS developments. No longer just KERS. It's now ERS. 
um, energy recovery system. There's a heat energy recovery unit off the turbo. Or HERS, as we call it. HERS. And uh, a kinetic energy recovery system off the brakes. So the fact that they're using the turbo to capture heat, that's fascinating and clever. I like that. And um, the fact that they're combining that to have a, a more robust and dynamic um, hybrid system that is also allowed to be used for more of a lap. I think it's now 27 seconds a lap or something like that. Those are both good things. It is ultimately what I hope to be just kind of an in-between compromise till we get to the point where they, you can say, okay, now you only have 50 kilograms of fuel for the race, but you can do whatever you want with that 50 grams of fuel. Right. That's where I think the ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, fascination for both engineering and racing would be. Well, so that, first of all, only makes sense if if everyone's got good budget, I think, because if there's really, uh, you know, only three engine manufacturers anyway, because of, you know, budgets and small teams and customers and so on, then it's not that there are, you know, 10 or 11 different teams trying different things. It's like, okay, well, there's three companies. And then once one, you know, once one way of solving the problem seems to be the right, then everyone else will follow it and, and whatever. So it's not as cool as possible. So I think something like that makes, to me, more sense in like sports cars, where, you you know, you've got you know, maybe one manufacturer can be in different classes and you can have different angles and kind of really get creative in different ways. And that's, you know, with Le Mans and, you know, Garage 56 and where the Delta Wing came from and all these different things that, um, you know, are just really kind of, let's let's look at this sideways and see what we come up with and then go race it and see if it works. You know, I think it's cool. So, I don't so know what you're saying is you think Formula One should have 32 more garages. That would be, that would be interesting. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I guess... I don't know if F1 is the place for that. I mean, maybe. I, I do think, you know, we've talked about that in the past, that that kind of innovation um, is the kind of thing that I think, you know, lets people really be uh, really be creative. And if some kind of, you know, crazy electric turbine, you know, steam-powered, whatever, it's powered by aardvark tears, I don't care. Whatever the whatever the thing, whatever the way is they can what? make power. What made you think aardvark tears? It was the first thing in alphabetically that came into my mind. Um, <laughs> then, uh, the, of course, it's analytical. I love you have an analytical answer for aardvark tears. Well, it was the first in the alphabet, the first thing I thought of, of course. So that, that would get you... Jim thinks in alphabetical terms, by the way. It's always descending, no, ascending in alphabetical terms. So numbers start small, get bigger. Letters start at A and go down. A to Z for our English English fans. And then punctuation and special characters after that. But um, <laughs> so the point is, okay. So if we say, hey, everybody, you get X amount of fuel and do your best with it, then yeah, I think if everyone's got unlimited budgets, then you're going to come up with some really really cool stuff. But people don't, and so the reality of Formula One, um, I think, you know, what we've got now, our awkward noses aside is, uh, it, you know, powertrain-wise, is is quite interesting and quite good because this is now, you know, relevant to some road cars and so on. And, uh, you know, I think if we can get more manufacturers involved, then that's cool. And, you know, we've got Honda next year and yeah. maybe if whatever. So I think, I think I'm think you know, I'm kind of on board with it in a uh, in a general sense. And who knows? I mean, if we have supercars with, with heat recovery systems from turbos, like, that sounds cool, you know, to have that. And obviously we do already have, you know, hybrid powertrains in some supercars or hypercars or whatever. Well, that so. is that is actually, it's a couple of things I have to say now. It, you bring up a good point fundamentally, which is internal combustion engines um, are even in, I think, theoretical perfect form, only like 32% efficient, which means 62% of the energy created by them goes to heat, not to actual forward progress, not the kinetic energy of pushing the cis- and, uh, cylinder down and on and on. And gut-wrenching noise that cavemen like you just love. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh. Um, can, yeah. 
the cylinders don't move, by the way. The pistons move down. Anyway, um, so if you can capture some of that heat and turn that heat, that energy, transfer it again to uh, forward progress, that's great news. However, I, I still ultimately wish that it was more pure, that it was more of a, more of a hey, here are some very simple constraints what's the most innovative way you can think of to use though to use this amount of energy with these tools whatever what i'm agreeing with you on though this is definitely a step in the right direction and if it works out if formula 1 can be clever to uh, to limit things in the right way that keeps people from spending too much money but yet innovates i think this is where formula 1 can really thrive you want formula 1 to be relevant these are top engineers being extremely um, extremely innovative in an extremely fast-paced environment. And everything they do is finding, rule, finding the rules and finding ways around the rules to get as clever as possible. And there's also two sides to it. It's the powertrain itself. But then a huge part of doing this is, is there a lighter weight way to do it in the body? Is there a more aerodynamically efficient way to do it in the body? Those type of things where each individual team, they can come up with real and genuine uh, forward progress for our transportation industry. Right. I mean, we think about the shape of, of an F1 car as being, you know, in very general terms, you know, sort of, it is what it is. You've got the, the you know, airbox inlet above, above the driver. It's kind of this triangular shape and it feeds down to the thing. But it's like, what if, you know, if you've got a rotary engine where it's packaged very differently? Or what if you've got electric motors that are in the wheels and that allows you to change the weight of the car and where the driver sits with respect to the fuel tank and all these right. things? Like, it could be very different and that could be really interesting. And, you know, like, you know, rotary, I think, is a good example where, you know, we did see rotary Le Mans car, uh, you know, with the Mazdas and, and so on. And, you know, that's just, that's cool, you know, to see different angles and, you know, with the diesels and turbo diesels being the way to do Le Mans these days and whatever, it's like, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. And, um, but I think it, it is worth considering that, you know, it's not just, okay, maybe all the cars will look the same and they'll kind of sound different and whatever, but it's like, no, these could actually, you know, changes in powertrain could really change. I mean, we could have, um, you could have four-wheel drive cars, you know, with there's electric motors going different ways. You know, there have Le Mans been, does have that. It, well, in testing, there there have been what uh, there's a McLaren four-wheel drive car wasn't there with uh, that had some weird you know linkage to the front and whatever. But anyway, it's wait. Well, the most recent four-wheel drive connection that I can think of in Formula One was the safety car in Korea this year. No, year. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the uh, no, I think it was Bar Honda at the time. Maybe it was just Honda Racing, but they had uh, half shafts going to the front wheels to equalize torque across wheels under braking yeah. to keep um, the, uh, the inside front from locking up so easily. But that wasn't driving anything. That was just – that was transferring torque. Right. You know, boy, we really are nerding out this episode, aren't we? Well, I mean, this is like the Ferguson the P99 in 1961 was the first four-wheel drive F1 car. The P99 – Well, no, but, I, but what <laughs> I was talking about, the exact opposite of that, the last, right. you know, any kind of connected okay. wheels in the front – um, I was thinking of the, uh, the McLaren M9A in 1969, which is the last front-running team to produce a four-wheel drive car. Ah, well, well. Um, but in, in Le Mans, I think at one point, and I, they might have made the rules more strict here. You're more of a WEC expert than I am. But wasn't the R18 e-tron Quattro at one point all-wheel drive? But then they've, they've hampered the rules in, in such a way now. Yeah, I don't know the... 2014 spec, but yeah, that was the idea. Was you know diesel to the rear wheels and electricity to the front, and then they could balance the two and use them different ways, which was which was interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't know exactly how it's been uh, dialed in for this coming year, but 
Um, we'll we'll yeah. follow that as it goes. So as you can see, Jim and I have actually not exactly been on the same page here. We have disagreements on things. However, I'm going to bring up a topic that I think we will agree on. Uh, I'm pretty confident in this. Double points for the last three races. That's one of the rule changes we haven't yet discussed. This is what the sport has needed for <laughs> years. <laughs> this yes. would just keep things exciting. I mean, it's a solution to really all the problems. In uh, addition, so Jim I, hates ice cream. Anyway, what's next? And ponies. <laughs> no, I mean, come on. What? They, ah, okay. They're like, all right, double the points for the last race. We agree. That's ridiculous. Double the points for the last three races. Now a, you're talking. No, triple points <laughs> just for the Latin. <laughs> right. It just, you know, when, uh, when NASCAR... Uh, introduced the uh, playoff series for the Sprint Cup. So it's like, I don't know, the last 10 races or the last five or whatever like this. There's the chase, exactly. And the top, I think it is now 12 drivers can get into the chase, and they are the only, they are among the only 12 that can actually compete for and win the driver's championship or the championship. And everyone else is still running to win races, but the, the points are just divided in a different way. People scolded that and said, hey, that's a bit silly. And you can say the success. You can argue whether it was successful or not. They keep playing with it. It, it works to a, in a, to a certain extent, though. But then Formula 1 takes something that has a similar effect but does it way less elegantly. I mean, it's just ridiculous and stupid in my point of view. Yeah, uh, because it's, you know, points, when it really comes down to it, are – in a way, it matter more than wins, you know, because a championship is what you can really, you know, you get, there's the trophy physically, but what you can really put in terms of marketing, of, you know, whether it's a road car, whether yeah. it's an energy drink, whatever it is, hey, we are Formula One World Constructor Champion or Championship Winning Driver, such and such. And it's, and, and it's a memory that lasts long, longer. Right, that's it's all much record books standing. and so yeah, on. Exactly. You know, I think a lot more people know about Michael Schumacher's, you know, seven championships than however many wins he had. Yeah, let's like, where, it, but, where was Michael Schumacher's 87th win go now? Right, I don't eh, know. Mid. So, Somewhere. So championship. So and you know, if a team could could win a championship by coming second every race, um, then you know it's cooler to win. But still, that's a championship. So points are really like what counts in terms of every race. So that the value you know that a, that a team gets out of Formula One. I mean, there's the marketing and whatnot, exposure on TV. But a lot of that has to do with how well you're doing, which is really points. So in a way, they're saying now the last race is just. It's 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 effectively two races worth, you know. You it's so do you um, put double the effort into it, or what does that mean to double the effort? If you've got an, you know, if you've got 19 races where we put in a certain amount of effort, and then the 20th race we do double, or what, you know? Then and then how does that work? And so they're expanding it to three races, is saying okay, well now these three. Uh, are all worth double a previous race, not because they're longer races or tougher races or more historically interesting or whatever. It's just because they're the end. And therefore, <laughs> whatever happens in the championship, even if one guy's way out in front, you know, maybe then if, if you know, say we get into the fourth fourth race to go and Vettel has a crazy lead or something, which probably won't happen, but who knows, like if it had been last year, then a... Uh, okay, so now mathematically, the championship, okay, maybe Alonso could now. If he wins the last three races right. and Vettel crashes out in all of them, then okay, Alonso could win. It's like, but are we likely to see that happen? Yeah, I, Is Ferrari going to somehow, like, or any team, what, whoever the guys are. But that's, but that's just it. There's so many shoulda, coulda, wouldas in past championships. You said, oh, if the races were like this or the races were like that, it would have been this way, it would have been that way. And hardly different in most cases. Yeah, <laughs> but... We've had a lot of thrilling championships in the last 10 years. I think 
I, I don't know, 10 years is hard to say, but I can think of at least, what, three or four that were very exciting all the way down to the last race, right? Versus now you double the points. That just makes it kind of more arbitrary. And the thing about it that always frustrated me, you could always say, look, the, the win at the very first race, the points at the very first race are just as important as the ones at the last. You've got to be aiming for the same thing every time you go out there. And now that's not true anymore. And I, that's frustrating and, um, and silly. And I think it's just a marketer's, a marketer's game, a marketer's trick. It, it makes it less real, less genuine. And uh, that disappoints me. Right. So I, uh, I mean, I guess, so my prediction back then was that it wasn't going to go through. They, uh, they were, they were going to, you know, the way that rules get made and things get, you know, reconfigured and so on, that, you know, this was sort of, oh, yeah, this is a crazy idea and got thrown out there. And then before the actual season starts, okay, that'll all go away. That's getting less and less likely as we are now less than a month to go until the, right. the, the lights go out in Australia. And uh, I, worst of all, I think, would be if they did change it partway through. I mean, that is... That would be the worst thing to sort of have this moving target, even if it is still, you know, 10 months away to the end of the season. Right. Like, let's all be on the same page before the season starts about exactly what, how many points you're going to are on the board for each one. So there was one meeting um, as they would, they, you know, the final FIA working group meeting uh, where they did assign driver numbers, which some we haven't talked about, but it's not a super exciting story. But yeah. all the drivers now have their uh, numbers for life. Whatever. Yeah, and I think it's silly mostly, but whatever. I think it's good. More but, marketing. Whatever. But although that that's marketing that matters at least. Meh. Um, and, uh, and, then if, and they had the chance to – they could have made a sort of, oh, by the way, executive order, the double points thing is gone. And then and instead um, – I don't know – do you know if it's actually officially last point, double points for the last three? I don't know Because I don't anything. know where – You know you everything. Know. I don't know anything. Okay, well, I don't know one silly, stupid thing. <laughs> okay. Well, fair enough. So I, the, the current working current theory – which is all we've got for yes. the moment is that it's you know they're looking at double points for the last three races, but somewhere you know we should we should confirm I guess with FIA rulebook or whatever that I will uh, check the internets and the internets will say all the internets deem that there will be so and so points so and so races. I I'm I'm hopeful that yeah they can come to a conclusion of come but listen so much has changed from the 2013 season to this upcoming 2014 season. It's still going to be a fantastic season to watch, no matter what. But this double points thing, I think, sullies um, an otherwise very um, anticipated and exciting season of Formula One to watch. Um, the one thing, though, we should move on and we should at least talk about this a little bit: um, driver lineup that is now confirmed, and we sh- we should run down that because we've been we've been nerding out for a while here. Yes. Um... We can do so. Okay, I've got a. I had. A, I have so many things in, pull up in front of me. So, um, Red Bull Renault, as we know, number one, Sebastian Vettel. Number three, that's the number Ricardo picked for his driver number. Number three, we're number um, three. Right, we're is, number uh, three. Daniel is, Ricardo, as is we number know. three, like the Australian number one. It's like, oh, that's good, mate. Uh, <laughs> yes, I always I'm, like the bronze shrimp uh, on the barbie. I'm sure. I'm sure it's like that. My um, accent is impeccable. It was as awesome. always. Um, however, so if Vettel Vettel has number one right now because he is world champion, um, he will be revert to number five though, uh, when uh, if and when he is still racing and is not the current reigning world champion. So yes. there is still the, whoever ha, you know ha, I guess has the option to be number one if they are the uh, current world champion. Yes. Anyway, um, then for we've got number six Nico Rosberg for Mercedes as we knew. Number seven Kimi Raikkonen for Ferrari. Eight is Romain Grosjean for Lotus. 
Um, and he's, he's been doing this like Romaine, but with the O is like the eight. So it's like kind of looks like Rate Main, but it's Romaine. But anyway. <laughs> um, rate Main. With his, uh, main. With his deal. 11, Checo Perez uh, in the Force India now. Um, with the crazy colors, the uh, team colors and stuff, and the way that's come out. He kind of looks like he's sponsored by the 1990s, it has been said. Um, <laughs> Lucky 13, Pastor Maldonado. Oh, the fact that Pastor Maldonado picked 13 was so prophetic. I mean, it was so so Did you say pathetic or prophetic? Pro- prophetic. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's... Of course. It, I mean, it was fate. He had to be the guy that picks 13. And he had to be the guy to genuinely believe in his heart of hearts. Why is there this thing about the number 13? It's That's a lucky silly. number in Venezuela, so it's all good for him. I, it's, it is the... I, listen. Okay. He is a Grand Prix winner. He is a Grand Prix winner. And you can say that um, about not many people in this world. He took a Williams... And, yes, the weather conditions helped him, certainly. But it was a Williams to a Grand Prix win. Okay, he's also done some other things in a Formula One car. But... And there hasn't been a number 13 in years because the traditional numbering, they always skip 13. So that's like, okay, cool. It will stand out. But, boy, I mean, of all the things, wow. I mean, yes, okay, moving on. 14, Fernando Alonso in the Ferrari, of course. Um, which was his recording number, and you know it's been sort of his number throughout his right. career and, uh, and so on. If I were in Formula One, theoretically, um, I would have definitely picked the number thirty-two because thirty-two was on my go kart um, uh, back in the day, and I won almost every race I entered in that thing. Oh, it's just so brilliant. You done? Rem- okay, continue, you're good. Okay. Continue. Yes. Uh, Seventeen, Jules Bianchi in the Marussia. Uh, Nineteen, Felipe Massa in the Williams for this year. Number twenty, Kevin Magnussen. In the McLaren Mercedes. Son of Jan Magnussen. <laughs> 21, Esteban Gutierrez in the Sauber. Yes. 22, Jensen Button. Um, We're the, number 22. Well, which, which was his car number when uh, when he won his championship, wasn't he? He was 22, he was 22 and 23. Was he well, and I would argue that Jensen Button is the most ladies' man of all the Formula One drivers. And, um, you know, a girl with a 22-inch waist. I don't know. What? I'm making something up. What? Where are you even... Well, I don't know. That Why do you let me talk? I don't know. You should be cutting me off right Number now. Number 25 is Jean-Eric Verne in the Toro Rosso. Um, 26, Daniel Kifat in the other Toro Rosso. So, the, again, that team is at least you know, two numbers next to each other. Then we go to 27 in Nico Hulkenberg, which is a classic Ferrari number, actually, for a long time. Which, is it really? Um, people were, uh, were thinking, oh, that's interesting. Maybe he'll be hmm, Nico Hulkenberg in a Ferrari at a thing. Um, uh, 44, Lewis Hamilton. Uh, and there is a way with the four, so you can kind of make it like an LH with a four and the four, and they kind of line them up special, and it looks all cool. So he's got his uh, branding sorted out there. 77, okay. Valtteri Bottas, who has two Ts next to each other in, in his first and last names. And there's a way to arrange the seven sevens to look like the thing. So he's got the uh, got the thinking there as well. And then happy number 99, Adrian Sutil, um, is uh, in We're Sauber. number 99. We're number so, 99. So people uh, definitely, you know, uh, People like the, uh, you know, repetitive numbers, right? 44, 77, 99, 22, 11. That's, that's all well and good. Yes. Um, and, you know, otherwise kind of is what it is. So the driver numbers, and uh, as, we, as we mentioned, that's, uh, now that uh, does have, let's see, Marcus Erickson is not on that list. So, cause, so this doesn't, this, this, that actually was not uh, everybody. Well. Because um, that's got Max Chilton. 
um, mm, and yes. then the Caterham guys not on there. So let me pull up the correct numbers with so Caterham, Marcus Ericsson number nine, the uh, the Swedish driver, which uh, had not had been confirmed as uh, last time we were there, and Kamui Kobayashi uh, for uh, number ten yes. as well. So oh good uh, good good. And I, I, the, the one driver I wanted to talk about the most, and I was so, so happy to see this, um, Felipe Massa in, I think it was day two of the four-day dress test. Number 19, as will be. Number 19, yeah. Yes. Uh, get her done. Um, he was the fastest man out on track, which meant two very good things. One, Felipe Massa still has some stuff, and it was so good to see that. And two, the Williams might have some stuff. I mean... It's testing. It's early. You can't count on this and on and on. But it was still, all that taken, it is still encouraging to see. Well, well, okay, sure, because the Red Bulls weren't going. And, of course, obviously they're going to be the fastest ones once they get their <laughs> Renault power units sorted out. Yes. I mean, right, who knows, right? It's, it's early days and, and whatnot. But, you know, the Williams, of course, does have Mercedes powertrain this year. And the Mercedes powertrain, so far, is... Uh, is the right one. Right. And uh, although all this information in the next two days is going to be bunked because there's going to be the Bahrain testing and then it's all going to be different. Right. So this is true. Take and, that but, for what it is. But Williams, I feel like they're making some good progress to become more of an established, at least like solid mid-pack team again. And I would love to see Williams eke towards the front again. And uh, their their partnership with Martinez, I think that's a, a genuinely important step for them to say, look, we have title sponsorship, serious money with us now. And that was actually discussed how Martinez was like, hey, Martini, we're thinking, I think it's the... Martini, sorry. Um, Martinez. Uh, <laughs> it's like, we, we want to get back into Formula One. They shopped around different teams. And Williams said, come with us. You can be our title sponsor. Let's turn this into something. Yeah. And I think that's good because, okay, Williams, I'm sure, uh, was more a little bit more of a bargain compared to the other Formula 1 teams probably, and that was part of what motivated it. But if things go well and they can turn this into a nice amicable amicable relationship, then Martini can really help sustain Williams and uh, so they don't have to constantly be struggling for money among everything else and they can focus a little bit more on building their cars properly. And uh, I would I would love to see Williams... You know, move towards the front again. So, we, so you you kind of can't wait to get them back to like the Maldonado era of of a, of a winning car. Is <laughs> well, what you're saying? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I want to see Williams more in the Juan Pablo Montoya era, which you know would be nice. Ooh, quick well, that, aside on that. That, that, by that old the way. guy who's an IndyCar racer. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that uh, Juan Pablo Montoya is no longer a NASCAR driver. He will be in IndyCar, and I believe it's for Penske. He will be a Penske driver in uh, IndyCar for 2014. That's that's pretty cool to see him back in IndyCar. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure he's target chip Ganassi. No, I thought that was the whole. That, is that the thing? I thought that was the whole thing. Is that Penske is going for a third driver Team again? Penske. Yeah. Okay. Because it's yeah Verizon's car and the whole thing with. Uh, yeah, because it's 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 going to be Montoya, Will Power, and uh, Castro Neves. There you go. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Um, going wing. Hey, you know what? The best part of the show is your Australian accent and then your engine noises. I just uh, have a gift. Okay, so lesser known, but I, I think potentially interesting changes for 2014. Uh, we will have mid-season testing come back, which is something that was debated. You well, know, the, that was in, connected to Pirelli Tire. Wasn't uh, it something they really wanted? Well, I think a lot of let, people wanted it. Let's but, just say uh, yes. Yeah, but certainly partly, partly for that. So there's going to be... Um, uh, four different venues having two-day tests in the week after the uh, Grand Prix circuit, so that'll be good. That is And nice. then there will be end-of-season 
Um, they, well, they, they will not do the end-of-season young driver tests, so that's like, you know, like they used to do in Abu Dhabi. So it'll be mid-season testing, we'll be back. There will be the uh, driver penalty points thing, um, you know, will be, will be expanded upon. So there's, uh, you know, you get more, you know, more and more warnings, and then you do get drive-through penalties, and you get grid spot penalties uh, and things okay. like that. Um, you can do... And Pastor, Pastor Maldonado starts with 13. <laughs> yes. Um, there, you can do a uh, a race ban after you get twelve penalty points. Um, also, the stewards will have <laughs> definitely thirteen for Pastor. Then <laughs> um, stewards will have the power to do five second penalties in addition to the twenty second, which is sort of like the post race drive through penalty and so on. Um, rules: the unsafe pit releases um, will be uh, now penal- uh, punishable by a uh, grid spot penalty. A, you know, for the next race. So not just oh, we paid twenty five thousand euros or whatever, but it's like, you know. They're getting very serious about unsafe pit release, and uh, that will be the deal. Um, drivers only can use five engines over the course of the season. It was eight oh, just yes. last year, but it's um, five. Um, and then if you do use a sixth engine, you start from the pit lane. And actually, it's a tiny bit more complicated than that. It's you. It's five engines total, and it's also five um, for each of the major individual components. You right. can't use any one of those more than five times. But the turbo, the ERS, and KERS, right. you get five of each, and, uh, and then I think you can, you can mix and match how you, you can want. Mis- you can mix and match, but you cannot use a sixth of any one of them without taking a penalty. And then it's, I think it's, you get a 10-spot grid, grid penalty, and then it goes five-spot, five-spot, five-spot if you have to do it more and more. But it, I don't. It gets it gets bizarre. Yeah. Well, it says you start from the pit lane instead of ten places, so it's like a penalty all the way to the back. But they do have, um, and I think this this was something we thought was interesting from before. When you you know giving a penalty like a five spot or ten spot grid penalty to a car that's on one of the last two rows is not really much of a penalty, right? So what's right. to stop them? So now they say in, in you know in the event that a penalty relegates a driver past the back row, the remaining penalty will carry over to the next race. So you can sort of, if you get, if you qualify 20th and have a 10 grid spot penalty, you could like pay off that penalty over several races, um, you know, one, two, three spots at a time, which is kind of interesting. But, yes, uh, yes. Uh, well, I guess they can only be carried over to the next race. They don't accumulate beyond that. But, you know, it, anyway, it, it will actually be potentially change things around rather than some of these changes where someone says, oh, we already have a penalty, so we might as well, you know, go all out and change the turbo or something. Then anyway, it, it keeps things uh, in order a little bit there. Um, the... Uh, there is the uh, that can change tire specifications mid-season. Um, after this is basically the, the British Grand Prix 2013 rule change to say uh, you know they basically FIA has the ability to say yeah we need to change the tires these aren't safe we can do that. Um, pit lane speed limit is even lower now from 100 kph to 80, which is yes. 50 miles an hour, which is fascinating because that does discourage pit stops. Right, um, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, because the other thing that's fascinating about that is they have Pirelli has definitely gone more more conservative with their tires because they're like you know what we had it we we you asked us to be more exciting with the racing we delivered but now we're getting looked at as chumps so they're they're toning it down again you can't blame them right and I think in, in all this it is easy to go oh yeah Pirelli makes tires that are terrible it's like I think this shows that Pirelli is amazing because they you know you know, the FIA or whatever orders up a tire that does a certain thing and Pirelli gives that to them. And then what that actually means, like, Hey, we want the racing to be exciting. Well, the British Grand Prix was exciting. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's certain like, you know, thresholds to it, but it's like, you ask us to do a tire that, you know, does certain things and they can do that for you. So anyway, um, we want, no, we now want a tire that sweeps up after itself. Right. Okay. Then <laughs> there's the pole trophy we talked about. You get a trophy for getting most pole oh, positions. God, yeah, it's yeah. not any actual 
And I think that was something we said before. God, it would be nice if there were points for pole. Right. That would be something a that would be... A non-championship award, which whatever. Meh. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that like does. Like it's a big fat meh with a capital M. Um, right. And then technically, according to this, uh, the final, it's just the final race. will offer double, double points. Uh, so I think it's been talked about to go to three, but I think the current actual rule is just the final race. Okay. What, what, when is that dated? How old is the thing you're referencing? How old is your source, sir? Uh, December 9th. Okay. So... Going to three was definitely talked about after the fact. Right. So who knows? But um, uh, on a different subject, I also wanted to give I, – I read about this recently. I don't know how long ago this actually happened because, again, I'm not very smart. Um, but a, a proper shout-out to Robert Kubica, who has recently won a race in the European Rally Championship. And uh, thanks to Jim um, hooking me up with technology on my TiVo, I've been watching some rally and uh, watching Kubica – in a race car, doing what he does so well is just brilliant to watch. And he's fast. I mean, he's fast on gravel. He's definitely fast on pavement and on and on. Well, he won the, um, I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, the Janar Rally. It's J-A-N-N-E-R Rally of the ERC. And I think that's really cool. I want to give a shout-out to him because I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, man. What's up, Robert? How's it going? Uh-huh. Hope you're uh, hope you're doing well. But, yeah, the um, in, in a Ford Fiesta, I must, I must say, <laughs> yes. which is arguably the best car. You know, Too bad he couldn't be in an M3. That there is, you know, but... <laughs> Too bad. Whatever, dude, he won. What do you he want? won, and it, it's brilliant to see him going. And uh, I'll have you know, my car has a 1.6 liter turbocharged power unit, okay? So it is much closer to Formula One technology than anything that you're driving. I'll have you know that my car's engine is twice as big and revs higher. Raw, and the, it makes bigger, angrier sounds. For Raw the, for the caveman and all of us. And sure. in similar news, fire good. <laughs> in similar news, by the way, it's fire bad. Um, Jacques Villeneuve is entering World Rallycross. Apparently, hey, I don't care. Um, I think listener feedback. I mean, I was I was going to have another hour of conversation just about Lewis Hamilton. Oh, but if, yeah, you if, know what? No, I did want to talk to you. Uh, I did this uh, nice 12 thimble review because I was sewing, doing some needlepoint. And I was like, God, what thimble would fit my fingers best and protect yet offer comfort for needlepoint when I'm sewing and in and out? And Really? Know. What brands of thimbles did you use? Uh, yeah, see, this story <laughs> doesn't check out, sir. <laughs> well, uh, my favorite, I'll just cut to the chase with the thimble and nader. Yes. Clearly. <laughs> now, I, now I have to look up Thimble Brands. <laughs> no, I don't think you do. I think we can just go to listen to feedback no, and then I'm it's all okay. Thimble Brands, Thimble Brands. So in addition to Facebook and Twitter and all these other fun things, we have an email account, the address of which is feedback at funwithcars.com. And our good buddy Paul Alston has sent us an email to that address. Um, saying, hey, Robin and Jim, having just caught up with the Get Well Michael podcast, I felt compelled to drop you a line to congratulate you on a well-conceived, well-presented, and fantastically informative podcast. Mm. Robin, it's a great shame that you had to go through what you did in order to gain that knowledge, <laughs> but that goes just goes to, to demonstrate your commitment to providing the most in-depth analysis. <laughs> uh, it was all for the show in, in some way. It's um, plenty deep, yeah. I'm glad you recovered, and I'm definitely sending those good vibes in the hope that Michael does the same. While I'm writing, I would like to share a thought on double points. To date, everything I've read, heard, and watched on the subject has concentrated on the outcome of past championships, but what about the timing of the outcome? Surely the purpose of this rule change is, at the very least, to move Seb's next title closer to the end of the season. Unfortunately, I don't have the time or patience to look back through historic seasons, but if you look at 2013, the effect of double points would have taken the title battle to Abu Dhabi one race later, thus keeping the audience interest slash viewing figures up for one more race. Thanks, as always, for the tremendous work you do. Regards, Paul Alston. 
and uh, and then asks if we if he uh, we have stolen their winter because uh, you know apparently the uh, you know I think he's in England um, England has had not much of a winter and we here in Michigan have had way more than we needed so I do think that is the case uh, you can have it back next year and double so um, you know enjoy the snow but uh, yeah so the timing okay yeah as he mentions um, one race later I don't know would that be enough to you know, to, to sort of monkey around with the channel, with the points and so on to say, okay, it's yeah. kind of the inevitable. And then, oh, it's one race later than it was. Otherwise it's, you know, I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't sort of do it for me or seem like it's enough of a, of a concern. Um, and the other, of course, the other issue with the uh, double points and, and looking at historically is that, you know, same thing as if we say, oh, what if we apply the current um, point scoring, you know, where, you, where now it's down to 10th place, if it was down to sixth place, what if we apply that to previous seasons which works in a way to see if things had happened the same. But if there had been double points on the table, then teams could have prioritized differently and made different choices about, you know, right. um, about, Absolutely. Uh, you know when, when to do engine changes and, you know, how to prepare for certain things and what upgrades and so on. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think we, and really, I, I haven't seen, I don't, I don't know if I've really read anyone as a, really sort of thoughtful defense of double point saying this is this idea really is great you know and really solves some some great problems i think if someone you know the last point so it's 19 races for 2014 if right. we've gone through 16 of them and someone is so far out in the lead that you know the double points are what's going to are what's going to do it you know either someone you know we can usually kind of understand there's a trend or if it is as close as it's been then either way i don't think the double points are going to be what what does it? You know, I guess the, the point of double points, or the the, the really the point, the of big double the points. big payoff of double points would be if there is a change in performance for the last three races that whoever's been winning. Because if you win, you still get double the points for winning. Well, it's not like oh, double points for second place or something. It's and like, based on testing, that's the ironic part about it. They the claim is well, double points might actually help Red Bull continue to do well if it, if Renault takes half a season or so to get the engine sorted out and a Red Bull takes time to get their thing sorted out. But then if they have that second half of the season, knowing that the last three races will be worth more potentially. Right. I mean, what if, what if Alonso's in the lead and then, right. <laughs> and then through the last three races, oh Vettel God. wins the championship. I mean, how, oh. you know, so anyway, so yeah, so the timing, you know, I guess maybe for some people it will keep them interested. I mean, certainly you and I, Robin, haven't been, you know, there hasn't been a race where we go, eh, you know, there's F1 on this weekend, but I really don't care. We know Vettel's got it sewn up. It's like there's always something for us to watch. We're, we, just, we're we that kind of fans, and we get something out of it and so on. Um, but there are certainly a lot of people that are more, you know, F1 is more personal for them, where they're like, if my guy's not winning, then I don't care, or I hate Vettel, and if, if he is <laughs> winning, then I'm not watching whatever. You know, there's certain people that have, they get different things out of watching F1. So perhaps there will be some people for whom this really pays off, and they go, oh, man, it's anybody's game for the last you know, a couple races, but I feel like it just, it, it feels artificial. It feels like a game and is, uh, you know, and I think even like that, like the NASCAR rules that we talked about earlier, you know, it's just, it's harder to follow now as well. How do you get into the chase? And then how do, why, why does this guy, it seems like he shouldn't have made it. And it then he it's does, definitely, and, it's hard to follow if you're not uh, super into uh, it. Uh, uh, yeah. If you're not as a, a hardcore fan, I mean, if you're just kind of a fair weather fan, I'll say, you know, that's where it gets a little complicated, but it is not like uh, new fans wouldn't be interested if there weren't double points. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's the part that bothers me. I don't see the appeal to the new fan either. And I guess the only counter-argument to that is like, well, the championship is more likely to go 
later into the season. It's like, well, not necessarily. We don't know how this is going to work out yet. Right. And if you and I, you know, if there's a friend of ours who's like, oh, man, I've heard about this, this, you know, Formula One. What's that all about? Is it cool? And I can be like, dude, you're never going to. It's so cool that the last three races, it's like double the points of the oh, other one. Oh, my ones. God. I mean, I'm also not going to go to them and be like, it's this, you know, qualifying, you know, knockout qualifying. And it's three sessions. You know, it's like right. it's these crazy engines. It's the engineering behind them. It's like, you know, it's the top level of everything. Like, right. there's enough cool about F1 that to introduce the double points thing to sort of be like, oh, yeah, man, double points. What know? if it were double points and uh, you got shot at by uh, people on the side of the track with paintball guns. That would definitely add some a certain demographic. I it's think, like, oh, would... Vettel got hit with the orange. Oh. Okay. So thank you, Paul, for the email. Yeah, and, uh, and thank you very much for the nice things you had to say. I am also glad to still be here. Um, I do have an email from uh, Juan Gonzalez um, from Facebook. Actually, it's not an email, then it's a Facebook message. Um, also devastated by the Schumacher accident and wanted to understand what was going on. Your podcast was by far the best information I could find and think it was the be- best podcast you have ever done. So thank you, but it makes me wonder about the quality of our Formula One coverage. If talking about <laughs> falling off a bridge is, is better, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, uh, Juan continues, I had surgery last summer, so that makes three of us. F1 was one of the things I thought about in the hospital bed to keep my mind in a good place. I missed one race, but watched it on DVR as soon as I got home. I had so little energy that it took three viewings. Being a lot of drugs and feeling indifferent, both mentally and physically, is no fun, but I was determined to get better every day, and here I am almost six months later feeling pretty good. One thing that Robin mentioned was that he th- what he thinks about what happened almost every day and attributes things like... Uh, memory loss to his condition. I remember the point in my life when I first started to forget simple stuff like where I put my keys. It was between the ages of 33 and 34. I was very frustrated with what seemed to happen all of a sudden. I had always had a great memory, and I guess I relied on it a lot. Now I have a great memory again thanks to the iPhone, so all is well. (laughs) I wanted to mention this because Robin shouldn't attribute everything to the accident. Some things just happen naturally over time. I think he's saying you're old is what he's saying there. Yes, well, Um, I, 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 I agree except that I was too old to remember that. What? (laughs) <laughs> Bond continues, uh, we might think of 2013 as a year full of bad luck, but I, sh- I choose not to think of it that way. I think it's probably the best luck I ever had, uh, and, and what I went through will have a positive impact on the rest of my life. Wish you guys a happy and safe 2014. Let's all be careful out there and enjoy an interesting F1 season. All the best, Juan. Yeah, well, that uh, ex- extremely well put and very nice of him to say. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it's it's amazing the different stories that come out when you share your story and... Um, I, it makes me happy to know that uh, that people enjoyed it and people saw it uh, the the way that I hoped it to be seen. And uh, I I will now say, uh, in a small fit of self promotion, that I'm also personally proud of the episode we put together. It, it was uh, it was actually cathartic to be able to uh, kind of share my story a little bit and explain some of the details of fun with hospitals, as it was called originally. And uh, I'd certainly invite uh, everyone to share that with people. It's, it is it's a very real thing with a lot of real emotions and thoughts and uh, I think gets to the root of just life and all that kind of stuff. And then, then there's always the fun part that is connected to Formula One. And uh, it's definitely you know, the fun part. <laughs> it's uh, it's also definitely connected to what's going on with uh, Michael. So uh, to that uh, to that, I say quick update on him. There is you know the, there is good news about his recovery. They have, the doctors have decided that he's well enough to be uh, taken out of the induced coma. That is taking time, 
and uh, we have to just be patient and hope that it's best. There were uh, rumors that he had a bit of pneumonia that he had to fight through to uh, get better. And uh, that did, I have to admit, it is nothing more than a rumor. We don't know if any of that's actually true. But if it is true, don't let that um, put you out either. Because don't forget, I had freshwater pneumonitis, which is very close to pneumonia in a coma. You're just, your body is just trying to figure some things out. And it's not always smooth and straightforward. Um, so if it's true, um, he got through it. Don't worry about it. And if it's false, well, I mean, there's just been so much sensationalism around the Michael Schumacher story that that isn't nice to hear, but it isn't surprising either. And uh, I also have a theory. My theory is, and it's, uh, it's not, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say even a theory. I have a hypothesis, and I hope this is true. It's not I, kind of the same thing as a theory. No, a theory is a hypothesis that you yourself has, have proven through testing. The hypothesis is where you start. Okay. Anyway, uh, the hypothesis is that, uh, and I'm hoping, maybe, just maybe, Michael Schumacher has come out of the coma, and he is, being, he is in the first stages of interacting with his family again and bringing this relief, but... The uh, shrewd Schumacher family and management, Sabine, said, hey, let's not tell the media that he's out of the coma yet. Give them a little bit of breathing room to be family, to have just a tiny bit of privacy. I wonder slash hope that that's what they're doing, that he is actually out of the coma, but they're just they're buying time uh, for just a little bit extra privacy. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're getting calls and response requests all the time for information. If they go, you know what, none of your business, then that's, you know, that's fine. We'll find out. You know, whenever whenever it matters. But uh, yeah, I mean, here's here's hoping. You know, of course, things are going well, and you know, it's it's not the most important thing that uh, the Schumacher family needs to worry about is that they tell you and I what Michael is doing. They just need to, you know, right, exactly. be with Michael and whatever. You know, make make sure everything's going well. So, um, I, yeah, hopefully, that is uh, what's going on. And it's yeah, like, as you say, not uh, not terribly useful to speculate. Um, we got another email. Or, sorry, man, I'm like old with my email references here. <laughs> Facebook message. Um, on a slightly different tone, Scott Christie, I know it's the rules, but can they make the cars any worse? And I'm a diehard F1 fan. <laughs> and he attaches a picture of all the cars' noses. And it's like, dude, yeah, we, we've covered that, but yeah, it's, it, it's awkward. Yes. Um, also, David Garcia uh, mentions to us, uh, if we're not busy, check out the Bathurst 12-hour live streaming on the web. And uh, thankfully, I was not busy, and I did check that out. Mm. Um, and that race was actually really, really quite brilliant. So, you know, there's the Bathurst 1000 with the V8 supercars. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, the, the big, you know, drinking party where a race happens to break out in, uh, in Australia in, <laughs> later in the year. But this is like, you know, sort of FIA GT3 and GT4 cars. And they had a bunch of different classes and all kinds of different cool cars. And after 12 hours of racing, I think oh, it was... Okay, so this is not it was, supercars, no, no, Australian just, supercars no, no, at all. No, no, this is, this is international, you know, GT cars and all kinds of different things. Gotcha. And it was there were several photo finishes in the top ten after twelve hours of racing. It was just a really really enjoyable race to watch. It was live streaming for um, where we could I could watch it here in the U.S. Without, is it is it WEC? No, no, it's its own its own deal. Um, okay. And uh, with commentary from Randy Lamont and the Jain Hondoff and the guys, it was just like a very fun thing to watch. So I actually also so that was uh, like last weekend uh, was following that and then also. Um, actually re-watching or watching because I was out of town then, uh, Rolex 24. So I kind of had my endurance Saturday going and switching back and forth, and it was a really good time. But, uh, yeah, so thanks for the heads up on that. And, uh, you know, that's that's one of those races we're going to have to keep a closer eye on in the future because it was 
super super cool um just the you know the setup for it you know it's what a cool track the mount panorama circuit and bathurst there with you know some crazy long Absolutely. straights and crazy elevation and so on and uh yeah anyway good times and photo finishes after all the racing just tells you you know it's a good balance of uh you know ferrari versus mercedes and all these kind of fun things so thank you very much folks for the messages and then uh in the meantime as well um, I've been, I've had a couple of tweets on, uh, you know, hash FW cars on Twitter. Um, not a whole lot of activity though, as, uh, again, I was out of town during the, uh, the first round of testing and, you know, we have day jobs and whatnot, uh, that these during the week things are tough, but, uh, do keep in touch with us there as well as on Facebook and, uh, overall on funwithcars.com. Absolutely. And a real quick thing, uh, cause you mentioned the day, day 20, 24 hours. It was a good reminder. Um, uh, best of, uh, best of luck to both Memo Gidley and Matteo. Malucelli, Malucelli, who, yeah. Malucelli, yeah, sorry, uh, whom uh, had an accident at the Daytona 24 Hours. It was kind of the big deal accident of the race, and it was big and scary and significant to watch, but it wasn't deadly, thankfully, and uh, they are both recovering, and we hope we'll both have a full recovery. Yeah, well, Malucelli was um, just in the hospital for like a couple of days, and he was released and sort of, you know, doing okay. Um, Memo Gidley um, was in the hospital for longer, um, but has since um, actually been released from there. He's in a rehab thing back near his house now, and uh, it's you know continuing to show lots of good uh, you know lots of good improvement. He had a fracture in his left arm, left leg, left leg, spine, and left heel, which all sound uh, very serious and bad. But uh, you know, it's, and of course, you know, again, it's tough to not really helpful to speculate on how things are going to happen. But um, there, he's not in life-threatening, you know, situation right now. He's, he's past all that and right. is, is just recovering and working through to see, you know, how, how well everything's going to work for him in the future. Yeah. But Never was life-threatening per se, but yeah, it was. It looked pretty freaking bad, looked though. It scary. And, yeah. uh, that was a, you know, very big, uh, very big uh, difference in velocity between the two, two cars. And uh, so, yeah, things are, you know, generally going as, as best they can be for uh, for those drivers. So that's always good to hear after uh, after scary, crazy crashes like that. All right, and you know the sound and what that sound means, and that is <laughs> that it is time what for predictions. <laughs> the sound and the sound has meaning when it makes that sound, and when you mean the sound of meaning. Oh, you're gonna make fun of me for eloquence now? Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna. You know what? By the way, hey, what's that track's name in Spain? Jerez? Is that what we're calling it now? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's called Jerry's. Um, by the way, <laughs> eat it, Jerry's. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should talk about our website a little bit because we were talking about thimbles a little earlier, and I found thimblepleasures.com, <laughs> which, by the way, thimble pleasures, you know, it can be pleasurable for a lot of people, I'm sure, and I hope, but I think that our website is more compelling visually than a rack of yarn or a rack of thread or different wrapping papers or look at it, if you scroll okay there, can i there's can free, i move on there's free please. patterns well free patterns well, free hold patterns. on quilting is just one of life's thimble pleasures <laughs> all right that is not what we're here to talk about so okay so we we actually finally do have uh predictions that we can make but before that I will mention uh, we actually did a whole big redesign on funwithcars.com. Yes, we did. Um, and yeah. by we, I mean Jim. <laughs> kind of. 
um, so now, you know, we've been putting more, uh, you know, uh, Robin's articles from Road and Track on there, um, yeah. putting some videos and some different things, and uh, as well as, obviously, the podcast as well. Uh, so we've just been expanded on that and made the website, I think, a lot more functional for seeing the various projects that we're doing. So funwithcars.com, you can go there and see um, all the various you know, articles, podcasts, uh, videos, and these different things that we've been posting and, uh, you know, comment on things right there. And of course there are links to the Twitter and Facebook pages and things like that. If uh, you're not already following us there, but, uh, hopefully you find that interesting and, uh, keep up with us because if you're following us here, presumably you're into not only just formula one racing, but also the general kind of, you know, fun things you can do with cars and car culture and, and things like that. So, um, do check that out if you would, and, uh, you can tell your buddies and all that. And, uh, you know, we will do our best to just keep uh, coming up with fun stuff to put on there and, uh, and keep it, it all going. Have it have something to do with cars. And it's fun in the cars with them, maybe. But the cars will be around and the fun will be around. I mean, we'll really, be with each other. It's a two-tusk affair. It is totally. Because if you have one tusk, you're like, where's the other tusk? Right. I mean, you don't see many one-tusked animals. Well, rhinoceros. <laughs> and narwhal. <laughs> well, anyway, I think uh, the website's cool, and we, we do have some videos up on the YouTubes. I guess it's a horn if there's just one. So that's different than a tusk. Totally different than a tusk. Okay. It's not as thimble of a pleasure. Mm. And so we have things on YouTube, and we have articles that I've written for uh, Road and Track. And uh, we, there's also a couple of little pieces that I've done just for us. And uh, my words are like music to your ears, as long as you're wearing earplugs. So, we need to move on to predictions. Yes. Because there is actually a race coming up, and there is going to be a winner to that race, and someone was going to be on pole. And uh, our prediction stud, he's got it ready to go. Right. So, Neil Popham, the... um ever awesome prediction stud uh, is is going to be running the predictions game for 2014 i go even a step farther i'd say he's ever getting awesomer Ooh, yes yeah that's that's strong words from the wordsmith over here it's just one of my thimble pleasures okay how long <laughs> is the thimble thing gonna really oh boy oh man hey this is my jan magnuson moment i wonder if jan magnuson likes thimbles because he might okay Point is, it is actually up and running, and we actually we do have uh, seven predictors already so far. Um, oh, have, well, have made done. predictions. So you and I, sir, are late to the game. But if you're on funwithcars.com, you can go to Facebook, or if you're already on uh, uh, already on Facebook, click on the predictions tab underneath the uh, main logo and the picture of the V8 engine, which is still there for now because it's a cool looking engine. Um, and uh, and you can put in uh, as as we've always done in the last couple of years, um, you. Click who you want to have, who you think is going to have pole position, and who's going to win the race. And we've talked about rejiggering this a little bit, but I think it is, for now anyway, it's going to be hard to see, I guess, as the season goes on. You know, we've talked about, oh, we should predict the top five or predict, you know, who's going to be in what place and kind of all these different things. And it, it's, if it's not, if it gets too complicated, I don't know, it may not be it's, as fun. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lark. It's, it's not meant to be comprehensive. It's just a fun way to say, you know what I think is going to happen? This. And... We're making these predictions that are going over the course of nine months. It's a big deal. It's, it's, if you think about it, if you add it up, if you, um, if you sum it all up, you're, you're, you're guessing a lot here. Right. And Lewis Hamilton is going to be on pole, and Ooh. Fernando Alonso is going to win. Wow. Wow. So. Wow. There you have Look it. Look at you. Bold man. I like it. It's not really that bold. I mean, if you think about it, because it's smart. <laughs> but wow. 
you know, I, like, you know, it's breaking in. I think it's going to be there, but it's not going to be. What, anyway, it is what it is. That's that's where I'm going. I'm thinking the Mercedes is going to be strong enough out of the gate. And uh, but it's ultimately going to be Alonzo who can, you know, get more than any car deserves to get more than that Ferrari deserves. Well, the anteater forehead Ferrari. I think that you're wrong. Good. I think. And this is I'm actually I'm torn. I almost want to. But no, I'm going to. Jensen Button is going to be on pole, and Jensen Button is going to win the race. You know he drives a McLaren, right? I do, and that's the that's the boldest. We part didn't even of my... talk about McLaren. Oh man, Ron Dennis like fired everybody, and like Mark Whitmarsh is not there, and like Eric Boulier might run this team. It's all crazy over there. There's a lot of mites there, and they don't they don't even have a title sponsor. It's just like McLaren brought to you by McLaren for this year. Well, and McLaren. McLaren showed, and they I don't know if they played their cards too early or if they have some other tricks up their sleeves. McLaren had the trickiest um, work around the rules, which was kind of like having a blown diffuser-ish rear suspension design. And it was within the rules for it to be that way. And they showed a lot of speed. And they showed, and so, and uh, we both know that Jensen Button is very good on capitalizing uh, uh, trick cars. So um, I'm, I'm going to go there and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it, I'm keeping it real for the more mature among us. The fact that he's also 34 years old, he's still got stuff. He's still fast, and he's going to prove it in Australia, and it's going to be sweet. So, Poland win for both? Poland Button? win. I, I, I have one guy. Oh, what if Daniel Ricciardo, like, just... Because, I mean, he's in the Red Bull now. He's Australian. That would be big for uh, for his Aussie fans. Huh? That would be big. I don't think he's going to do it, because obviously Hamilton's going to be on Poland. Alonso's going to win. But, you know, hopefully he does well. Yeah, and... What and if he, like, is better than Vettel? What if it just comes out and it's like, Vettel's like, dude, I can't keep up with this guy. Yeah, well, pff, it's possible, and... Helmet marker will chop off one of his legs. Well, the other thing that's entirely possible, I'm not guessing this, I'm just saying it is possible... Uh, it, what if Raikkonen's got the upper hand on Alonso? What if? What if? We shall have to watch and see. I say, well, I say, don't really watch the first 16 races. The best part of F1 is you got to wait for those last <laughs> Just three. Just wait. Because <laughs> that's, that's yes. it's like the chase. That's when it one. starts. Yes. That's no, when. No, that's not the chase. That's the Formula One season. This is all preseason testing. Ah, uh, this is like. Yeah, so they have nonsense. preseason testing with points now. Ooh. But there's the pole trophy. Hey, we talked a lot, but it was fun. It was good. We haven't we hadn't we hadn't talked in a while, and we hadn't talked strictly about Formula One in a long while. So we had a lot to get off our chest, and it was great. It was great fun to nerd out a little bit and you know talk about thimbles. So hey, I call it a success. All right. Well, it is uh, less than a month now until the Australian Grand Prix, and uh, we will be back under proper racing action. Um, although, just in a couple of days' time, or maybe by the time you've heard this, there will be testing from Bahrain, uh, where there, there is a, that is actually being televised, including in the U.S. NBC Sports is covering uh, F1 testing from Bahrain, which is cool. We never had oh, preseason well, test coverage before. Well, hot dog. Well, there wasn't as much preseason testing to cover it before either. But hey, there's that sound. <laughs> So good for you on uh, uh, pullingupformula1.com. I'm going to learn how to use mute one day. Hey, that'll be good. That'll be neat. In the meantime, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. We'll see you in... Wait, but the whole point, I was going to do a thing with a thing. I was going to say we'll see you in 28 days, 6 hours, 14 minutes, and... Uh, I'm Robin Warner. It's a two-tusk affair. <laughs>